everyone, and welcome to Minute 41 of Season 3 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Travis Bowe of the Real Comics Heroes podcast. Welcome to the show, Travis, or welcome back, because you were here last season. So, Yes, I was. Thanks for having me back. Uh, well, you, you did such a nice job the last time, so I figured, all right, I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you come back. You know, why not? Gotcha. <laughs> if you know, when you have fun guests, then you want to have them back because it's a fun conversation. You get some nice things to talk about. You know, we we won't have uh, you know Dell and Neil hugging this time, but, but we'll we'll find some other things to talk about. You know, maybe maybe we'll talk about a little bit of uh, you know Christmas holiday cheer or you know some some other things that might come up during the week. Who knows? Well, you know. Everyone should tune in to hear what we have to talk about this week. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. So episode 41 begins with uh, Hans continuing his speech and ends with Hans making an assumption. So we, we ended things on Friday with Hans beginning to uh, inform all of the hostages uh, about uh, the, the conversation that he had just a few weeks earlier with uh, their boss. You know, right. with, with uh, Mr. Takagi, right? So the first thing that I mean, I mentioned this on Friday, but to me, it's just hilarious that he's sitting there eating hors d'oeuvres while he's talking to them. Yeah, no, I like that. It's a, I'm guessing that's a, an Alan Rickman choice, just, you know, some busy work for his character. But uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you know that it's not in the script. It doesn't mention that in the sure. script, so it could very well be. Yeah. You know, so who knows? You know, it could be something that he just said, you know what, why don't you just bring me something and make it that, you know, I'm just having a little nibble. As, yeah. well, uh, in, he's sitting like against the uh, the food, like the buffet line. So, yeah, I like that he maybe just reached over and grabbed a plate with, you know, mixed nuts or whatever he's eating. No, it looks it looks more like uh, something. It's more than mixed nuts. It looks like it's some sort of, you know, pastry dough or something like that mm. that he's eating. You know, but but again, he's doing it so nonchalantly. It's just great. You know, it's like just in the middle of his conversation as he's telling them what what happened to their boss, and and you know, <laughs> we know that he just shot their boss in the head. So, right. you know, he he's taking this very very uh, calmly. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it matter of factly. You know, it's it's not something that really seems to to bother him to to sit there and and uh, eat while he's talking about the fact that uh, he's talking about the guy whose head he just blew off. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, um, so he can what he continues by saying in his discussion, he's very, very curt with them, obviously. So he says, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. Yeah, now, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll refresh everyone's memory as to what he said before then. OK, he said, I, I wanted this to be a professional, efficient, adult, cooperative. Uh, not a lot to ask. Alas, you're Mr. Takagi. Did not see it that way. And that's how it ended on Friday. And then he continues today by saying, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. Now, it's a very strange way to, to say that because, sure, you know, his life is already over. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like, you know, he's still dying and he won't be here. You know, we, yeah. we know he's he's gone. Should so. probably, yeah, have, have said the rest of your lives, I suppose. Could be. Right. But. Uh, or he probably won't be. I mean, it it flows very nicely, but it just doesn't sure. make sense. That's that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> you know, we're we're happy about the way that he says it, but you know, it just doesn't doesn't make as much sense, right? When he says it. 
So then he continues by saying, so we can go any way you want us. You, you can walk out of here or be carried out, but have no illusions. We are in charge. So decide now, each of you. And then as he's talking, there we I, first of all, I love the way that they, they give us a shot of Holly. Mm-hmm. You know, she's 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 staring. We know who she is. He doesn't know who sure. she is. We also, anyone who's seen the movie knows that she's now the one in charge because Takagi's not around, you know. But she's, yeah. on the one hand, she looks as if she's fearful. But on the other hand, you can see the the gears turning in her mind. Yeah. You know, she's thinking, her, her mind is racing. You know, and as this whole conversation is going on, we also get her point of view. You know, it's as if it switches and we see her point of view of what's going on. So we see like her head turn towards where the the elevators are coming from, scanning around. We see right. two of the other terrorists around. You know, uh, we where do you know they're not terrorists? But I'm still going to refer to them as terrorists sure. because that's more or less what they are, uh, even though they claim to just be thieves. <laughs> and so we see both Fritz and Alexander standing on the side there, you know, guarding things as they they go over. And then the atmosphere is is interrupted by this loud ding, you know, from from the you know we know it's from the elevator. And then we see her point of view look over, you know, and we can we can see Fritz, who's standing by the elevator, and we see him turn, you know, very nonchalantly, not expecting, you know, apparently expecting uh, Carl or someone else to come out of the sure. elevator, you know, yeah. or or maybe expecting Tony to be coming back from the elevator. Who knows, you know, but not. And and then we see the uh, the shot from inside the elevator out. And we see his face, and we see how shocked he is as the doors really open like to the elevator. And it's done really well. Yeah, Jean yeah. Devant or Jan Devant does a very nice job of of setting up that shot. Well, and then to follow that up with the, uh, I think you see is it, his name's Tony in the elevator. Is that right? Yes. yes. Okay. So then you see him, and then you get the one of the hostages gets that great reaction to you know great scream. Yeah, and kind of sets right everybody be, off. Right, but right before that, as as they're showing us all these things, so we hear, um, we hear Hans continue his his little diatribe, and he says, "And please remember, we have left nothing to chance," which is is great because that completely accentuates the fact that you know he says we know what everything's going to be going on. This is all planned right. out properly, and as he's saying that, you know, uh, we <laughs> see Fritz's. Uh, uh, the, the, we see Fritz's look that everything yeah. is just completely. This is not. Uh, this is not going the way that they want it to. Right. You know, and, and then we get the woman to scream. Okay. Which uh, I mean, it's not a Wilhelm scream, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's great that she screams as she sees Tony. You know, sitting in the in, in, in sitting in the chair or slumped over in the chair or slumped backwards in the chair. However, you want to refer to that. Yeah, you know, and at this point, Fritz calls out to, to both Hans and Alexander. Then tries to, you know, keep a few people from from getting closer, right. which is like really strange. Like, why, why are those people moving towards the elevator? I wondered about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and yeah, what, what would you worried, think? Uh, maybe they're worried who who this dead person is, and and their initial instinct is to try and just get a better look, try to see who it is. Maybe they're paramedic. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they're the medical staff of, of the yeah. Hatomi building. Right. Who knows? I mean, what, 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 what came across my mind is 
You know, that the, basically they're rubbernecking. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. For sure. You know, now you, you know what rubbernecking is? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, right. So the, the rubbernecking is the act of staring at something of interest. Okay. It's the physical act of craning one's neck performed in order to get a better view, which definitely describes more or less what these people are trying to do at the time. Yeah. Right. It's uh, considered a uh, human trait that's associated with morbid curiosity. And it is also the cause of many traffic jams, as <laughs> yeah. most of us know, you know, when, when very, we're driving. Very familiar with that. Yeah. So sometimes it's referred to as a gaper's block or a gaper's delay, hmm. because what basically happens is the drivers slow down to see what's going on. You know, yeah. someone, someone once called, I think someone once referred to, referred to that as they're vulture, vultures or something like that, as you okay. know, you're, you're looking over and stuff like that. And it, it's generally, the term is considered a slang term or some sort of uh, type of unconventional English, right? What, how, yeah. When do you think that the term was coined? How, how, how old do you think the term rubbernecking is? It doesn't feel like an old term, so I would say it may go back to the 50s or 60s. Okay, well, it was originally coined in America in 1890. Wow. And they would refer to that as tourists. Hmm. Okay. They refer to Basically, they were referring to tourists because that's what tourists okay. would do. Tourists would come to particular places and they would do that. Now, there's, there's a, uh, a famous – uh, author, or he was, I think he was a reporter, H.L. Uh, Mencken, who was very, uh, he was part of the uh, Scopes Monkey Trial, if I remember correctly. He was, he was the uh, the reporter dealing with it. So he said that the uh, the term rubberneck is basically American psychology, and it's one of the best words ever coined because hmm. it, it it so perfectly describes the situation of what people are doing. In 1909, it was uh, used to describe, you know, wagons and, and automobiles and buses that were used for tourists, hence what I mentioned earlier in 1890, you know, uh, where they were taking them around American cities and the tours would include uh, someone with a megaphone, you know, who was offering commentary on the, the various uh, buildings and urban landscape and stuff like that. So at that point, it would cause a lot of traffic. So people were referring to them as rubberneckers because they were huh. you know sitting on a tour bus or or in a tour car or, or a wagon or whatever it is and they were you know they, they would stop and look at everything that's going on not necessarily an accident but uh, what they were you know what they were trying to do so basically they were they were stretching their necks to see uh you know to see things that are going on when yeah. most of the time misinformation was shouted at them you know it was it was known at the time that people would just make stuff up when they sure. were telling them about it and uh, they would call these these various uh, trucks, cars, wagons. They would known as either gape wagons or yap wagons. <laughs> nice. Right. And then the, I like, the term. I like I like yap wagons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the in the fifties when they they had the idea of of party lines, you know, uh, phone you know phone lines that that numerous people can okay. can use all together. You know, they would, they would have like uh, joint conversation. I guess sure. what we would call now conference calls, but but it would yeah, be, yeah. you know, it would be very different. It would just be random people having conversations together and stuff like that. So they 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 would refer to uh, when they would refer to the term rubbernecking, it would mean someone who is listening in on the conversation of others. 
you know, someone who huh. was who who was not invited to be at this uh, on this party line and was there yeah. listening to conversations. An eavesdropper. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, more or less. And back to what we we're talking about with with the automobiles. So it's mostly mostly used because of road accidents that motorists would slow down in order to see something actually on the other side of the road. It's not even something that happens usually on your side of the road. It happens on the other one. You know, usually a traffic accident or a car pulled over or whatever it is. Uh, sometimes people call this accident gawking. Okay. And they, uh, they did a, a study and they found that 29% of accidents and breakdowns, breakdowns caused slowdowns on the opposite lanes where, which were completely uninvolved in the right. craft. Okay. According to another study from 2003, it said that rubbernecking was the cause of 16% of distraction related traffic accidents. Okay. Meaning that <laughs> because people are looking at, at the other yeah. side at the accident, they cause their own accidents. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, and therefore it appears there's a book that is called the 100 most dangerous things in everyday life and what you can do about them. And rubbernecking is in that book because it's something that you shouldn't really be doing. And it can be quite dangerous to do so. Right. And uh, apparently uh, they they try to um, uh, factor this into the into when when designing highways they they think about this, but apparently they're not very good at it <laughs> <laughs> because there there's still lots and lots and lots of rubbernecking all over. Yeah. So yeah, that that's what they that rubbernecking is what what it looks like to me that these four people are doing as they get uh you know pushed pushed away from by by Alexander who who doesn't really look like he's trying very hard. You know, he's yeah. he's acting. He's pushing push acting. You know, he's not really doing it in a very right forceful way that you would think that he's really doing this, you know. Yeah, I think even as he's trying to get in front of the couple people that are more or less charging ahead, he even turns his head to look back kind of yeah, to so. see what's going on as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. He wants to know also. Yeah. Hey, that, that's Tony. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, he looks like a uh, scarecrow. I don't know. Yeah. The way his head is, uh, you know, hanging over like, the side like that. It's, it's, it's really eerie because he looks like he's a mannequin, you know? It, yeah. It really looks like he's a, a prop. That actor... I, I, and Andreas Wisniewski, he's yeah. very good at just playing dead. Apparently. Uh, yeah. He's yeah, also he, really good in uh, The Living Daylights. He plays an assassin yeah. uh, mm -hmm. named Necros. Right. That's true. But, I mean, I, as a kid, I used to always think that they just, you know, that people didn't really die in movies. Mm. You know, that they always used, you know, fake dummies and stuff like that. Because, you know, like, how can... You know, I always wondered how could people hold their breath for so long or be in, oh, sure. be in different strange, you know, contortions and stuff like that. You know, that was before yeah. I knew about movie magic or how that really worked. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apparently it's possible to to make Tony look really dead and have yeah. his head. I mean, his head hangs in a way that, that does <laughs> not look comfortable and does not look mm -hmm. uh, as if it's, uh, you know, as if it's functioning. Let's put it that yeah. way. You know, at this point, Hans runs over and, and – uh, you know, pushes, screams, get them back. And then we get a shot of Tony lying in the, in the chair. We, we get to see that he is uh, uh, nicely decorated for Christmas. <laughs> you know, he has, he has a Christmas hat on and he, he has a shirt 
and on his shirt it says and han starts reading out what it says on the shirt and it says now i have a machine gun ho 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 so i mean this has become very popular from oh, Die Hard. Yeah. you know there's tons of t-shirts and tons of, of posters that that have that that particular sign on them uh um, for sure because it, it works really well and while we're seeing this we we also get a shot of holly Okay, and Holly and Ellis are both also trying to figure out what's going on. They're they're looking they're a little further away. And as soon as Holly figures it out, she like looks away and you can see some form of recognition on her face. As if she oh, yeah. now knows, okay, I'm aware of what just happened here and how this happened. And I'm not gonna tell anybody. You know, I'm keeping right. that to myself, at least for now. You know. And my first question is is why would John write this? Yeah, it's uh, definitely a good taunting maneuver is to is to rattle their cages a little bit. Yeah, you know, but he's let them one know. against one against a dozen, you know, to to right. try and rattle their cages this way by saying, "Now I have a machine gun, ho ho ho." I don't know. I, I don't know. I, again, it's 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 yeah. all meant for he, for the audience. But well, and we'll also see. I think next minute that John's not very far away at this moment so he's wanting to draw you know not uh, essentially draw in as many of them as possible so that he's he can do his little fact finding and recon so right and then fritz turns to hans and says a security guard we missed (laughs) now uh, it's a it's a good it's good idea but 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 based on what we've seen they did enough recon here you know this Mm. isn't something that they would really oh yeah have missed you know, they, they do they how know, many people were supposed to be there. And, yeah, they know exactly everything is planned to the T. We'll talk a little bit more about that during the course of the week. But but there's no way that that could just that they missed the security guard. You know, that yeah. was the important thing for them to take care of. And then uh, Hans's response is, no, they're usually tired old policemen growing fat on a pension. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, no. And that's pretty much how this minute ends. You know, so did you have anything else you wanted to mention about this minute before we get into the script? Um, the I, I'd looked up machine gun just because, you know, I was just curious, like, what is the definition of a machine gun? You know, because you hear it all the time, but you just I didn't know what was classified machine gun versus another type of gun. And I guess it's a it's a weapon that can fire one bullet after another with only one pull of the trigger. So it's fully automatic. Right. Instead of semi or and with a machine gun, it uses rifle ammunition as opposed to a submachine gun, which would use like smaller caliber pistol ammunition. So Right. Well, what's what's funny, though, is because the the MP5, which is what he's using here, uses the a nine millimeter, you know, which mm. is part of the reason why they chose to use it in this movie and why it's very prevalent to be used, because you can interchange bullets from from a handgun oh, right. to the mp5 i mean we're not talking about huh. if you're talking about an m16 or something like that so an m16 has a different bullet it has a you know 5.56 caliber bullet but the mp5 and most handguns uh, at least most handguns that people use uh day-to-day they, they use nine millimeter bullets obviously there are other versions of, of pistols yeah. and other versions of, of guns too. So it's funny that that's the definition they give for machine guns, so which means right. that, that the MP5 doesn't cla- isn't classified right. as a machine gun based on that it, definition. 
Yeah, that's fine. But but that's that that works for the plot later on. You know, the, yeah. he needed to 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 have a machine gun and a pistol that used the same bullets. Right. I also thought it was interesting. I, for years, you know, I think it's meant to be that this uh, message was written on the sweatshirt in blood. Um, but then as I'm like looking at it, it almost looks too neat. It, it it looks like it was written with a, you know, pencil or maybe you found a brush and did use uh, Tony's blood here to write the message. It just, I've never really looked at it uh, with, you know, for detail. Um, it's just kind of odd. It almost looks like it's written in Sharpie instead of, you know. Well, I, I got to tell you that, so. that, that looking at it, it doesn't look like it's from blood. It does look like it's from a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know you if know, he found one, you know, found. I, I'm assuming he did there. because he 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 saw all of the the decorations and things like that. So maybe they had some sort. Maybe it's lipstick. Yeah, because he would have been on the I don't think it's level, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, there could have been a red sharpie up there with the with blueprints and, and yeah. various. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's meant to be blood. Okay, I've always seen it as like. I've always taken it as it's meant to be blood until I've really looked at it now. And yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, he's blood on his face, but I don't think, I don't think, yeah. uh, you know, also John is not that sadistic that he would start writing it. In yeah. Blood. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I would think. Okay. Anything else before I get into the script? Oh, uh, no, that's about it. Okay. So the, the script is a few, I mean, again, as I've mentioned so many times, this movie is not like plane trains and automobiles. There isn't two hours and twelve minutes cut out of the the uh, shooting script in order to get to the final edit. It, there are minor discrepancies, mostly in dialogue. But one of the things that I really like about the script is is the descriptive passages. They do a great job describing things. So the first thing is is that Hans's dialogue at the beginning is different. So in the script, he says, "We are prepared to go anywhere you make us." When uh, when we have achieved our aims, you will walk out of here or be carried out. Decide now, each of you. But remember that we have planned everything to the last detail. We are completely in charge. So it's a little different. Um, I like the way that Alan Rickman delivers it. So, you know, it doesn't bother me that they changed it. You know, they're, they're minor little changes right. of the way that they did that. Um, another difference is, is that the it says that uh, Holly sees the body. And reacts. She knows her husband's abilities, not to mention his twisted sense of humor, <laughs> which de- definitely sheds a little bit of light onto the yeah. fact as to you know why John would do this. This is you know more than just what you said earlier that he was taunting. You know he's using this as it's his sick sense of humor. Sure. Okay. And instead of it being written on his shirt in the script. It says that Hans sees a folded piece of paper in Tony's collar and takes it out. And then he takes out the note and reads on the note, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. Mm. Okay. So what that would mean, though, is that the sense of humor has to do with the fact that he's wearing a Santa hat. But, Not necessarily right, – yeah. she wouldn't be able to read what it says on the – you know, on, on the – the, on the shirt. The shirt or on the yeah. – uh, sorry, she wouldn't be able to read what, what's written on the uh, on the note. You know, yeah. And then one other minor discrepancy that when Hans talks about the security guard, he says, security guard, they're usually tired and burned out old policemen growing fat on a pension. 
So, you know, he hasn't burnt out, which, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I take a little bit of offense to that because I, I don't think either of the, the two guys that we saw, you know, uh, was it in week, week two, neither one of them really looked as if they were burned out. You know, especially, sure. especially, yeah. I mean, I, I love mentioning this and that's why I'm going to mention it again, especially the, the character played by, um, by Rick Sassetti who to me has always reminded me of uh, John Larroquette. So I, I always think of him as John, the guy sitting behind the counter. Okay. You know, do, 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 do you remember who John Larroquette is? Oh yeah. From, from Night Court? I did. Yeah. 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 I didn't, don't, re- I don't recall the security guard enough to ah, okay. make that you know, connection. Yeah. I, I just like mentioning it because it's always fun. It always reminds me of it. And this way I want people to, I want other people to get reminded of that too. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, okay, so that's pretty much all we have for, for, for the script. So every Monday we do a uh, segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will give their top five uh, Die Hard doppelganger movies. We'll start at number five and work our way up. So what have you got for us, Travis? I've got uh, Broken Arrow, which is like Die Hard in a desert. Part, partly on a train, partly on Humvees. Like <laughs> Die Hard on, various... a stealth, on a stealth fighter with yeah. uh, with with nuclear warheads. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then I've got uh, The Rock, Die Hard on on an Alcatraz. Okay. I've got uh, Airheads, which is a fun like twist on the Die Hard thing, where okay the I, musicians I are the the terrorists. So. Yeah. Oh, that, 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 then, that's uh, really interesting. I didn't think about that one. Um, then I've got uh, Con Air. I mean, just Con Air is so fun. So yeah, and and well, I might as well give it, I might as well give a shout out once you mention that that you know for for Con Air uh, chapter by chapter, which will be uh, coming out in well, actually it already came out by the time this is uh, oh you know with by uh, Jake Cluett and uh, Mark Hoffmeyer, the guys who did oh, nice. uh, Deep Blue Sea podcast. So they're they're now doing Con Air podcast chapter by chapter. It uh, started, I guess, about a month and a half ago by the time awesome. that, that, that this hits. So anyone you should go and, and check that out. Right on. Uh, lastly, I have uh, Home Alone is is the best Die Hard movie that's not Die Hard. I've been waiting for somebody to bring that up. You know, I, it hasn't, I, hap- hasn't happened yet? Nope, nope. You're the first wow. one. Wow. You are the first one to mention that. Now, I, I've always known that, that Home Alone is, is considered a Die Hard movie. So, yeah. you know. It, it's not among my favorite, but I, it's still I love the fact that that you can take a kids movie and, yeah. you know, a, a John Hughes kids movie and put it into this type of genre. Right. So that, that really works. So, Travis, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Sure. You can find me on uh, Real Comic Heroes, which is my movie comic book movie review podcast. You just search Real Comic Heroes, real with two E's pretty much anywhere and you'll find it and uh yeah go check that out all right and finding me is very simple just do a quick search for movie a minute you can find me on twitter you can find me on facebook or you can go to my website so until tomorrow yippee yippee